live long and prosper. A couple of things that I wanted to follow up with um, as we're kind of setting the tone for the next several weeks. Uh, we'll be receiving the offering at the end of the service on your way out. The reason to do that is so that we don't have to pass the uh, offering baskets hand to hand. And um, Sarah, you're being over precautious. Let me just let me just touch that for a minute. Some comments even yet this morning have been made to me. Well, I'm not afraid. I believe that Jesus will take care of me. I'm not afraid, and I believe that Jesus will take care of me too. But there's a difference between faith and presumption. And there isn't anyone in this place that has a promise of supernatural health. And if you expose yourself, you have a chance of receiving that regardless. If we had a promise of supernatural health, we would not need the promise of divine healing. And if we had supernatural health, none of us would ever die. So let's not be foolish, okay? Understand. So wash your hands, people. <laughs> I never thought the day would come that I'd have to stand up here and say wash your hands. But... Take advantage of the hand sanitizer and just use wisdom. The problem is there are so many things going on right now and the situation changing so rapidly we don't know what it will look like. Thank you to those that have joined us this morning on our website and on Facebook. Right now we have about 50 unique devices that have joined in with us. Don't know how many people are at each device, but we're so glad that you're with us. Give them a big welcome this morning. Glad that you're with us live. Facebook and on the website. I also want to make one other comment about the private sector. Um, I'm really pleased at what I'm seeing in the private sector responding um, to the need. You can't expect the government to meet all of our needs and in the medical field, the way the private sector has stepped up makes me proud to be an American. The way that retail and commerce is stepping up um, those that are trying to hoard and merchandise are being stopped from doing that even with Amazon and eBay accounts. I'm thankful for that. We had a conversation with uh, workers at Hy-Vee and they're going to do their best as all the retail outlets are to get toilet paper back in stock and, uh, um, and limit that because we won't limit ourselves. So I'm just, you know, if you, rather than criticizing the stores, Let's take time to just thank those that are working hard to make sure that we're still functional. Amen. That'd be a good place for thank you for private sector stepping up. And again, if you need anything from us, please feel free to reach out to us. The last thing that I want to say, too, is if you are symptomatic in any way, um, please stay home. In other words, if you have a fever over 100 degrees or if you're in an at-risk group, you know, we want to be able to minister to you, but we also want you to be safe. And just, which should happen anyway. Yeah, should happen anyway. So, you know what I almost said? We're going to ask the ushers to come. <laughs> we are not at this moment asking the ushers to come. But I, we're in our series on rocks. Ain't no rock going to crowd in my place. We're going to look at our third rock this morning. Sticks and stones may break my bones. I want you to watch this video. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can never hurt me. Wrong. See, there is a story of a major league baseball player who's speaking to inmates in prison. One of the inmates asks him, 
How did you become a professional ball player, sir? To which he says, you know, I think it started when I was a boy. I would play catch with my dad and he would always say, you, you, you keep throwing the ball like that, son, and you'll end up in the major leagues one day. You keep swinging the bat like that, son, and you'll end up in the major leagues one day. And here I am, a professional ball player. The room became quiet. And the inmate who asked the question, he said, you know, the same thing happened to me. When I was a boy, my father told me that I was good for nothing and that one day I would end up in prison. And here I am. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me wrong. See, words can cut deeper and fester longer than any sword known to man. I still haven't forgotten what they told me as a kid, the, the, the teasing, the insecurities that it created. Have you? Consider the story of a little girl. She's in the grocery store with her mother and she drops a, a bottle of milk onto the floor, breaking it. The mother says, you stupid child, why did you do that? Consider the story of another little girl who's in the grocery store with her mother. She drops a bottle of milk onto the ground, breaking it. And this mother says, that was a very stupid thing you did. Which child do you think will grow up to have a healthier self-image and more self-confidence? The one who was, who was called stupid or the one whose action was called stupid? See, it is important to be mindful of the words that we use to our, our friends, our families, our loved ones, and strangers. Because sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can break our hearts. And if we're not careful, it can shatter our dreams. Ain't no rock in a crowd in my place. Week one, we talked about the missing stone in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we need to get the artificial and fake out of the way so that we can see the truth. Last week, um, we talked about the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, that instead of being an external constraint, become an internal guiding system as tables of stone are written on tables of the heart. This morning, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can damage me forever. How many of you know that that's true? Words that people say. Words can hurt deeply, and there's always someone around willing to throw a rock at you and leave damage. It's reported that this phrase, stick and stones, first appeared in the Christian Recorder in March 1862 in a publication of the African Methodist Episcopal Church where it was presented as an old adage in this form, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never break me. There's also a version of that in the 1981 song by Who, The Quiet One, that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never down me. It's interesting to me that even in this last sporting season, that phrase was used in a post-game um, interview after a football game, game on October 19th between Michigan and Penn State at Penn State. Michigan had won the four previous meetings, but Penn State had built a 21-0 lead at the midpoint through the second quarter. Michigan rallies back and makes it a close game and are threatening to tie the game in the closing minutes. Um, how many of you watched that game? Anybody watch that game? Yeah, a few of you watched that game. 
Nittany Lions safety broke up a pass in the end zone on fourth and goal from the Penn State three, saving the win for Penn State. It was called a heartbreaking loss for Michigan. In the postgame interview, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh was being asked questions, and in the middle of one of the questions, he stopped and looked at the uh, reporters and said, I've learned a long time ago, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I just thought, what a place for that phrase to be used, but I'll guarantee you that those words being used even in that context leave a mark. Stones in the Old Testament, we've already talked about, have some pretty serious usage and consequence. In this particular consequence, they're used to inflict a death sentence. Those guilty of certain crimes were sentenced to be stoned to death. Paul was once stoned on a missionary journey, left outside the city, and God raised him up, and he walked back as they thought they had left him dead. Stephen is stoned to death in the book of Acts, while Saul slash Paul stands on giving approval to the execution. And I don't know about you, but I would think being stoned to death would be a very brutal way for someone to have to die. Now, we're going to spend time this morning in John chapter 8, if you want to turn there and follow along in the story. And I need to comment on the scripture before we actually spend time in it. Most of you will have a Bible, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, that are in italics. And it will have some comment that the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 to 8:11. A few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part. So I'm going to take just a moment to let you know the ugly secret about translations. I don't know if you know this, but in order for a new translation of Scripture to get a copyright coverage, they have to show substantial change. And in order to get that substantial change, over a period of time, there are uh, compromises that are made to show as though it were better. And I'm saying to you that the early church accepted this text. There are many manuscripts and many authorities that accept this text. And I believe that it's been hovered over by the Spirit of God and is valid and ordained and anointed and part of the Scripture that we should consider. St. Augustine said it was left out originally by men of little faith because they thought it showed Jesus encouraging adultery. And that's not at all what happened. So if men of little faith want to leave it out, I'm this morning putting it back in. We're going to consider what I believe is a true story from the life of Christ that lets us see the impact of the stones and the stories that they have to tell. It's also interesting to me that the stoning stones are accused of not belonging there. So accusation is even made against this section. One of the things that we need to understand from John chapter 8 is that we, like the woman, we have an accuser, someone who stands to make accusation. The Bible says in this account that when she was taken, that the Pharisees claimed that she was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I have to comment on that, even though you probably all have thought about it, but the most common question from this pericope is to ask this question, where is the man? How many of you know that adultery is not a single act? I mean, a single person act. How many know that? If you don't know it, let me explain to you what happens in adultery. How many of you know it's not a single person act? I thought I'd get a few more hands up right now. It requires two people, and in this case, it would have been a man and a woman. Where did he go? Well, I don't know where he went, and honestly, I don't think it matters where he went. Here's what I know. 
the woman caught came to Jesus and at the end of the story, we'll find her forgiven and delivered. The man who wasn't caught has to live with his guilt the rest of his life. I'm glad that somebody brought her to Jesus. Yes. We should celebrate that in her behalf. And then you have to ask, what kind of voyeurs are watching to catch her? I mean, I'd ask the Pharisees, really? How did you know? <laughs> Uh, who was watching to catch in the very act. There's a lot of blame to go around. And in my experience, often those who hurl accusations are doing so to hide their own failures. They're creating a noise so that you won't look their direction. And the scripture makes it clear they're not wanting to accuse the woman anyway. They're looking for a reason to bring accusation against Jesus. Scripture tells us that Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. It makes it clear in a limited sense that one of the things Satan is doing today is accusing you to God. He's making accusation. He accuses you to the Father in the heavenly realm. But I also know that that's not the only area where he works. I know that he stands to make accusations against you personally. How many of you have dealt with that? in your own mind condemning you. You do something that you felt like was the right reason for the right reason, and afterward you find yourself second-guessing yourself. How many of you have been there? Or wondering what other people thought of you. I wonder what they thought of me. I wonder what they're thinking about what I did. The accuser of brothers and sisters likes to work on you and make you question and second-guess everything that happens to you. He whispers in your ear. And while I don't worry about believers being possessed by demon spirits, I do know that the devil is active, whispering in our ear, tempting, taunting, and tormenting us from time to time, trying to accuse you of what you have done and accuse you of what God has already forgiven you for. Have you ever had those come back and haunt you? Now, people use a phrase that I understand. I'm not really comfortable with this, and I'll explain to you why. People say that about themselves, I need to learn to forgive myself. Now, I get what that means, and I agree with that, but I want to press that a little bit. Why do we have, pro why do we have trouble learning how to forgive ourselves? Because you don't have the power to forgive yourself. You don't have the ability to forgive yourself. You can't wash your sins away. Left to you, it will haunt you, it will torment you, it will follow you, and the devil will keep hammering you. What you need to learn to do is accept the forgiveness that he provided for you, and when you suggest that you can't forgive yourself, do you know what you're really saying? You're saying, I can't trust his forgiveness for me. The place we need to live in is not forgiving ourselves, but 
accepting that he has forgiven us and walking in that provision, walking in that forgiveness. And that's what the devil is trying to take away from you. I can never do enough right things or be good enough or compensate enough for the mistakes that I've made personally, that I have personally made in my life. But here's what I know. Jesus cleanses us from sin and makes us new and every time we partake of communion, I remind myself that the sins of my past are covered by his blood, that they were thrown into the depths of the sea, and as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed those from me, and that they can never be remembered against me again. So you need to stop fishing in that pond and quit dragging those up. And when the devil does, someone said, when the devil taunts you about your past, remind him of his future. Amen. <laughs> Hello? Understand that. It's his forgiveness that you need to accept when the devil is taunting and tormenting you. But here's what I think is the most dangerous, is he stands to make accusation against you to others. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't know why it is that we're so quick to accept the accusations that we hear about other people. I can stand in the lobby in most churches or most public places, talk to someone and say, hey, I heard that John really did a great thing. There'd be mild interest in that. But if I said, did you hear what John did? People will get, how many know what I'm saying is the truth? We seem to have a desire to see the train wreck. We want to see the problem and how quickly it is that we embrace accusations against brothers and sisters in Christ or who are out in the world and they flourish in an environment where they're given strength to carry on. Where is that accusation coming from? Well, you need to identify the source, but just remember that while the devil is accusing you to God and while the devil is accusing you to yourself, the devil's also going to accuse other people to you. And that is the work of the devil. <laughs> Someone help me this morning. Anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? I'm not trying to put you on, under condemnation, trying to help you. When something is said that we so quickly grab hold of and want to accuse and blame. And we're living in a culture. And can I, can I just add this? Because I can't hardly avoid it. But all of the mud slinging right now over the coronavirus, believers, stay out of that. And let's engage in the answer. Let's quit saying who's to blame and what are they trying to gain and stay out of that argument and look at what we can do to be an answer because it's the devil's work to accuse other people to you. I wonder what she meant by that. Hello? I wonder what he meant by that. I can get so paranoid or have been in my past, not presently, <laughs> that I can even wonder why someone compliments me. What do they want? Come on, is anybody in the house this morning? 
Pretend like there's 10 people around you and they're shouting while you're listening, okay? Yeah, we, we, we do that. How many are guilty of that sometimes wondering? I wonder what they want. Where is that coming from? It's your flesh and the devil prodding it. Now, I do know you have to beware the flatterer, but there are some times that people just want to be nice to you. <laughs> Except that. Accusations don't have to be effective, but what I've learned is you can't, you can't win against an accuser. And it doesn't take long for somebody's life to be smeared by somebody's false accusation. Now, I've used this story before, and I'll use it because it's my story, and it really happened in a board meeting, and how the slandering and accusing works and why we need to guard against that and, and why it's so dangerous in the kingdom. We had a family in the church that was being investigated by DHS for abuse. The wife had turned her husband in for verbal abuse and made some other accusations and DHS was involved to see if there was any validity. <clears throat> One of our board members wanted to go over to see this family and so said that would be fine. And so instead of dialoguing with them about what was going on in their home, it became a dialogue about me and what was happening in our home. And the man of the house said, I've been to domestic abuse classes and said to the board member, you need to watch out because Pastor Gary shows all the signs of a wife abuser. Wow, wow. Um, and so we're in a board meeting, and out of the blue, one of the board members says, do you, do you abuse your wife? And I, I laughed. I thought he was being stupid, which he was, but that's another conversation. And I said, no. Now, there are two things you have to know. <laughs> you have to know my wife. And one time would be my death sentence. I mean, that's not who she is. I would have to sleep with one eye open. And so I said, where does this come from? They said, well, this guy said he could tell because when you preach, sometimes you hit the pulpit. And anyone that'll hit the pulpit will hit their spouse. Now, how many realize that's just stupidity? Okay, stupidity. But I want you to a stupid, baseless accusation from someone who was being charged with abuse became an accusation that I had to outlive that had no substance to it. How many of you are hearing what I'm saying? People are ready to believe accusations because we're fallen, we're base, we're carnal. And love thinks no evil. Come on, help me this morning. I'm trying to talk to us about what the rocks have to say. Accusations don't have to be true to be effective. And so when you begin to accuse others, how many are ready? When you are engaged in accusing others, you're engaged in the work of the devil. You're engaged in the work of the devil. 
You don't have to offer a black cat as a sacrifice under the oak tree at full moon to do the work of the devil. When you engage in accusing others, you're doing the work of the devil. I was stung at a district council not that long ago. I was asked to do the opening to the council and lead in prayer. And so I did what I was asked to do and and people were responsive. We had a great time of worship. And as I walked off, someone looked at me and said, you really like being up there, don't you? Do you know what happened in that moment? All the joy of feeling like God met with us was sucked out of me and I'm questioning my motivation and what I made of and wondering what that person thinks of me. Do you know what that is? When you rob the impact of worship, you're doing the work of the devil. Hallelujah. It gets better, folks, but the more you sit on me, the longer this part takes. (laughs) We have an accuser and the church of Jesus Christ needs to quit cooperating with the accuser of the brothers and sisters. So the good news is in verse 6 is just as the woman did, we have an advocate. We have an accuser, but we, thank God, have an advocate. So she is brought to Jesus, and I just, I love this story. And you've heard me say before that my favorite scripture passage is the one I'm preaching on on that Sunday. I just, but I love this story because Here they come. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And at that point, I'd say, if I'd been Jesus, I'd have said, you heathen hypocrites, who was watching? Who set this up? And which one of you wants to lead the way into hell? I mean, I'd have just kind of went after him. But how many are glad I'm not Jesus? I know I'm glad I'm not Jesus, so... Here's this whole interaction that's taking place, and they're mad, and they're yelling, and Jesus starts drawing on the ground. I don't care why he was writing on the ground, and I don't care what he wrote. I think that's an amazing response. Think about angry people. Imagine coming into my office, and... You are really mad about what someone has done to you. And I look at you and I listen. And then I just start doodling on a piece of paper. Do you know what's going to happen? Is that that going to assuage your anger? Or is it going to accentuate your anger? He's building a little fire. (laughs) Pastor Booth used to tell me often, let the devil kill his own meat. That's what's happening here. Let them reveal their own character. Let them reveal their own nature. And some say that he was writing their sentence. Some say he was writing their names. Some say he was writing their sins. I don't know. It just says that he did it. And they were drawing in closer and they're more upset They're there to accuse him, and and it says in the New King James that's left out of the NIV, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he heard them not. You know what the good news is this morning? Jesus isn't listening to accusations against you. He's not listening. He 
acts as though he doesn't hear it at all. He ignored them to get their attention, to more fully engage them. And then after that tension rises, this is like one of the coolest passages ever for me. As that tension rises, which tells me that sometimes it is okay to increase the tension in the room. <laughs> oh, I, I kind of like that. I guess no one else did. But <laughs> When they kept questioning him, he straightens up and says, let anyone who is without sin, cast the first stone. Two things that Jesus did not do. He did not challenge the accused, and he didn't validate the accusation. He dealt with the real issue at hand. Now, we're not done with this story. Don't think she's going to be totally off the hook, but in, listen to me, when you're in the presence of Jesus... You've come there feeling the weight of your sin. It is not the ministry of Christ to make it feel heavier on you. You're already there with him, and he wants to free you. That's what the rocks will say. He wants to free you, not pile on the accusations. She knew she was guilty. She doesn't plead her case. They assumed they were innocent, and Jesus came to be light in a darkened world. He challenged the accusers. So can I, for a moment, if I can do this and not, and not just blow apart into a billion pieces. We're in trouble if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead. Because the devil, watch this, is making accusation against us to God as he did with Job. Does anybody know where Jesus is right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you know what he's doing there? He's making intercession for the saints of God. Here's what happens. Satan walks in and you did a bad thing. You said a bad word. You did something you ought not do, and the devil is saying to God, did you see what one of your, what your creation did? Did you see them? And this is a little editorial response, but I believe he just looks over at Jesus who says, they're one of mine. <laughs> they're one of mine. And they have come to me. I have forgiven them, and there's no accusation that stands. Objection overruled, Satan. Is anybody in the house this morning? I said, objection overruled, Satan. It's been covered. They've been provided for by my son. And so when the devil makes accusation against you, you don't have to worry what's happening because he ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. And he blunts and deflects and rejects the accusations that the devil brings to the Father against you and me. Thank God that Jesus makes intercession. They belong to me. I believe he's also interceding that we do not fail, as he said 
to Peter, I've prayed for you that you fail not, but when you're converted, do you know what he knows? You're going to fail. But when you're converted, strengthen the brothers. He's there making intercession on our behalf. He is our mediator and our advocate. So we have an accuser, but we also have an advocate. Do you know what that leaves us with? It leaves us with an answer. We have an answer. We have an answer that comes from the rock that this morning says free. As Jesus addresses them, those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman. Now, you can say that he was writing their sins, he was writing their names. I I don't know. I, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I'll tell you what happened when Jesus said, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. The spirit of God moved into that place like a glory cloud. And all of a sudden, everything that they have done wrong begins to roll in front of their eyes because the ones on whom the Spirit of God will increase the pressure of guilt are those who presume their innocence. Because Jesus came to not to the healthy, but to the sick, those who need an answer, he's there to minister to. But when you stand in your arrogance and self-righteousness and pride and you've never made a mistake, the Spirit of God will move in there and begin to deal with your heart. And why from the oldest to the youngest? Because the oldest had longer lists. And it begins to roll in front of their eyes and they begin to dissipate. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. And as the older ones leave, the next generation sees them leaving. And well, if, if they can't stand up to this scrutiny, I can't stand up to this scrutiny. And when Jesus speaks, the accusers dissipate. So he said to her, when they're alone. (laughs) Wish I could do this the way it landed on me this week. Look at what he says. Has no one condemned you? (laughs) No one, sir. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. I said, that's what Jesus does. No one, sir. What do you mean no one? What do you mean no one's condemned you? They were all here. They all blamed you. They all said you're wrong. They said they surely they have condemned you. But when you drag a sinner into the presence of Jesus Christ, the end result of that will be all of the accusers have gone away. All of my guilt has lifted. You have made me new. There's no one left to accuse. I'm telling you, listen to me, that when people are accusing you and your own mind is accusing you, you don't need a place of therapy. You need to get up next to the heart of Jesus and let him begin to pour into you and lift that load off your shoulders and off your heart till you can walk out of your prayer closet and look at a world and say, no one, no one has condemned me because I've been with Jesus what do the rocks say the rocks say we came to kill her (laughs) but Jesus didn't need us 
because he delivered her. He delivered her. Now watch what he does with her. This is really important. You can't miss this. All the static noise is gone. All of the accusers are gone. It's just you and Jesus, and he will make you free. And he says, is, <laughs> is there anywhere here that she says, I'm sorry? Is there anywhere here that she says, forgive me? Is there anywhere here that suggests a deliverance from sin? Yes, there is. When she said, no one has condemned me. Do you know what that really means? How bad do you think she felt when they drug her out into the middle of the street? How bad do you think she felt? Humiliated, mocked, ridiculed, embarrassed, ashamed, trapped in her own sin. Who knows what had motivated her to be at that place? And it would be the natural response for her to say, well, yes, but they left. When she says no one, it tells me that she has experienced in that moment without a formula, without jumping through our hoops, without praying the prayer the right way. Are you hearing me right now? In the presence of Jesus, there is a, there is a supernatural union with her and the spirit of God that she knows that there is no longer any condemnation on her life you know what that we call that we call that the miracle of redemption i've seen it happen again and again you pray with someone you tell them how to pray and i i get concerned sometimes that in easy believism we're we're getting people to commit to a program rather than committing to the christ and experience something that changes them and if they're listen if a person's guilt won't go away i don't need to counsel them out of it I need to help pray them out of it because it's a miracle experience they'll get from Jesus. Let's go back and talk to Jesus. Let's go back into his presence. Now, do you believe that some people need counsel to help get there? Oh, absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. But I can't take it away. He can. And she stands there. Think about the moment. She stands there saying, I have no condemnation. That's a miracle. Come on, that's a miracle. It's told us by Paul's writings in Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation to who? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the spirit, what does the spirit of do? The spirit of life, it frees us from that condemnation. It frees us from that death sentence. It makes us new. And she's standing in front of him saying, I don't know what just happened, but I know that I'm a new creation. I know I'm a new creation. <laughs> and what does he say? Neither do I condemn thee. He doesn't come to condemn. He comes to cleanse. He comes to liberate. Not to excuse, not to say it's all right, but he comes to liberate you. Neither do I condemn thee. He brings salvation. He brings newness of life. And he says, 
Two things here that are really important. Go. What is he saying to her? You're released from the chains of accusation. You can leave this place of condemnation and shame. Don't stay here anymore. Go from this place. Go from this place. Because he would not release her if she wasn't ready to go. God does not want you to stay in the place of guilt and condemnation and beat yourself up. But it's time now to go. To go forward. And do what? And don't go back into this pigsty. Don't go back into this pigsty. There's a principle of temptation that we have to grapple with. It's easier to not cross a line of sin. It's easier to not cross a line than to cross a line and try to go back. So then, people who have been inappropriate sexually have crossed a line. And once they've crossed that, it's hard to go back to purity. It just is. If you have been a drug user, apart from the physical addiction and mental addiction, there's also a spiritual impact. That once you have used a drug source, it's hard to go back and stay back there because you've experienced the pleasure, and here's what happens over time. Over time, people forget the pain and only remember the pleasure, and they want to go back. And that's why he says to her, and don't do this again, not because she wasn't clean. People say, well, if God forgave me, why do I have this temptation to go back? Because it's part of who you are, and now he has said to her and to us, you don't have to go back. You don't have to do that. Go and sin no more. She left a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That is true freedom. His releasing comes with resurrection life. So what do these stones say this morning? They say we were recruited to kill a sinner. But we stand here untouched to celebrate a saint. <laughs> Is there anybody that has any life in Christ in them this morning? I mean, you're just looking at me like, I'm afraid the coronavirus is in the room. Come on, help me this morning. <laughs> this whole idea, I'm not going to let the rocks crowd. I'm not going to ignore where I was. I'm not going to let the rocks cry out in my place. I'm going to tell you that I've done things wrong, that I've made mistakes, that I could justly have been stoned. I could suffer the judgment of God, but I was with him. And the rocks that were amassed to kill me now stand as a testimony that he liberated me, and I'm a new creation in Christ, and ain't no rock going to cry out in my place. I'm going to tell my story. It's a story of rocks that were amassed to destroy me and a Savior who came to liberate me. The rocks say, we got to stay. And what should have been death was newness of life. So, Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, whether you're here in this room, if you're watching online, you're in the North Chapel, I'm talking to all of you this morning. If you have never met Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, this would be a great morning for you to respond. And rather than a show of hands, I'm just going to tell you what you need to do. If your sins are dragging you to Jesus, all you have to do, it's as simple as ABC, admit that you have need. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and confess him as Lord. It's that simple. You go to him and stay there until you experience that lifting of your past and pain. But I also know, heads bowed and eyes closed, that there are believers everywhere who are living in chains of accusation. It could be, as the video said at the beginning, things that were said about you as a child. You're stupid. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. We had a, one of the churches we pastored, we had a, a keyboardist who was brilliant on the organ and the piano, could play anything, could make that organ talk, but always said, I'm not any good. I'm not worth anything. Nobody wants me here. Where is that? Those are accusations that keep us in bondage. And that's not humility. That's inverse arrogance because it's all about you. People have said things, you've been accused of things, and you've ask Jesus to forgive you but you've not been able to move on you've kept in change this is your morning to be free with no one looking around online obviously I can't see you but this is for you North Chapel this is for you and on the main auditorium here it's for you do you need deliverance from the accuser I just want you to lift up your hand some, wait a minute some of you I can tell I can tell by being around you, by your behavior, by your reactions, by the things you react to, that there are wounds in your past that you've not resolved, and it causes you to strike out, causes you to be angry, it causes you to react in unhealthy ways because you're living in bondage of the accuser. This is your morning with no one looking around. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, I need Jesus to set me free. Thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you. In the balcony, yes, thank you. Thank you. You have to accept what he's done for you. And I want to say to you this morning that if you'll accept what he's done for you, then I can say to you, neither does he condemn you. Go in health. Go in freedom. Go in deliverance. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you, especially those of you that raised your hand. And together, I want us all to lift our hands and let Jesus talk to us in this moment. Jesus, right now, I bring before you those who raise their hand that are enslaved by chains of accusation, things that have been imposed on them, things that people have said to them, stones that have been amassed to bring them to death, and Lord, we're asking you to put those stones to rest this morning, that you will change their lives and those chains of bondage would be broken. I command them in Jesus' name to be released because you've provided deliverance for us. 
This is a morning of freedom. Jesus, one by one, I lift them to you. That right now your peace and love and forgiveness would flow into their life. And they would go from here saying, I will never again go back into that place of bondage because of the work of the accusers. Jesus, help us walk in freedom. Help us walk in freedom. Take a moment and in your own way, just ask him for that. Let's spend a minute with Jesus and ask him for that. There is freedom in the name. There's healing in the name. There's power in the name. Salvation in the name. There is life in the name. There is no other name but Jesus. There's healing in the name, oh, there is power in the name, salvation in the name, oh, there is life in the name, there is no other name but Jesus. take the offering. I want to make this just really clear. As you leave, there'll be ushers at the door waiting to serve you. And I don't expect, please don't feel any guilt if you walk by. Some of you give online. Some of you give on a payday. There are a number of reasons. I don't expect everybody to respond. But I hope somebody does. Because we still have to pay bills. We still have to respond to needs. And we want to minister to the people around us. So your giving will help us do that. Uh, but on your way out, express your worship as you give in the offering. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Walk in the shalom of God. God bless you.